The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Take care not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Otherwise, you will have no recompense from your heavenly Father. When you give alms, do not blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to win the praise of others. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your almsgiving may be secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that others may see them. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They neglect their appearance so that they may appear to others to be fasting. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not appear to be fasting, except to your Father who is hidden. And your Father who sees what is hidden will repay you. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So, does the name Frank Abagnale ring a bell with anyone? Oh, I see one hand. How many of you have seen the movie 2002, so it was a while back, Catch Me If You Can, with Leonardo DiCaprio, and then Tom Hanks plays the FBI agent? Well, that movie is based on a real-life story of this guy named Frank Abagnale. So, if you don't know the story, it's unbelievable, really. Here's how it goes. Frank is 16 years old. And his parents are getting a divorce. And he's told by the judge he has to choose which parent he's going to live with. And so what he decides to do instead is run away from both of them. Now he's got to survive, and he figures out that he can write bad checks, forge checks even, and get money. And then it gets even crazier. One of the things that he was sort of just born with is that even though he was only 16 years old, he looked a lot older than he really was. In fact, his hair started graying even as a teenager. So everybody thought he was 10 or 15 years older than this. He used that, and also he learned that, you know, if you just sort of put on a uniform, if you sort of look the part, people just sort of play along with you. So he begins this whole life of impersonation. First, he impersonates that he is a co-pilot for Pan Am Airlines. And he uses in the courtesy courtesy passenger miles that pilots get, he flies over one million miles all over the world to 26 different countries. And, And when he would get to these destinations, he would check into hotels, and go to fine restaurants, all on Pan Am's dime. It gets better. Later, he impersonates a doctor in a hospital in Atlanta. Then he moves to Louisiana, and he impersonates 
a lawyer. In fact, he, he forges a diploma from Harvard Law School. He even goes in and takes the bar exam in Louisiana and passes it, having never gone to law school. Now, I don't know what that says about Louisiana law, but we'll make fun of them because we're from Indiana, all right? Wow, my goodness. It's thought that he swindled people out of something like two and a half million dollars by writing all of these bad checks. And he does all of this, catch this, all of it before turning 21 years old. That's when he finally got caught in France. Now, when we hear a story like that, we're like, whoa, my goodness. First of all, how did he pull all that off? This was in the 1960s and might be a little harder to do than today. How did he pull all that off? And then you hear this, this caper, this story, and you think, my, wow, what a life of luxury. And he's flying all over the world, and he's always on the run. I mean, that sounds kind of cool, right? But now that he has reflected on it and gone back, he's, he's shared that, um, actually, no. In fact, he used to cry himself to sleep every night. Oh, he might be in a luxury hotel, but he'd spend Christmas Eve and other holidays all by himself. And he always knew at some point he he was going to get caught. This wasn't going to go on forever. He knew the truth. He knew that he was a fake, he was a fraud, and he was an impersonator. And what he really wanted all the time, it kind of probably stems from when his parents split, all he really wanted was to have a family, to be loved and to love. Well, when he's caught, he's put into prison, and then he's given a deal by the FBI. He said, we'll let you out of prison if you come to work for us and you help us catch other scam artists and fraud, fraudulent people. And he does, and you're like, why, why wouldn't you? It's not until he meets his wife, his eventual wife, who was an FBI agent, and then they have three children, he finally finds what, what he had always been looking for. And this is really the point he would tell you, that he turns his life around. And yet, to this day, in interviews, he'll talk about how he still carries the burden of everything that he had done. Now, I tell you that because I don't know about you, but I hear words like fraud, faker, impersonator, and I start to cringe a little bit. Jesus, as you heard in the gospel, uses the word hypocrite, a word that we're probably familiar with that we throw around a lot, but they use that word in Jesus' time to describe actors, actors in theater. And we can all be a bunch of actors, even when it comes to our religious life. I mean, all the things that we do in our religious life, think of how much of it is all on the outside. We're going to get crosses on our foreheads in a moment. We make the sign of the cross with our body. We bow. We kneel. And then Jesus talks about these these three pillars of Jewish piety that Christians have also adopted, the things that we do during Lent. We, We fast and we give alms and be more generous and we pray more. And we can do all of that on the outside. And we know that. We get so wrapped up in ultimately what other people think. See, the deepest desire of our heart, just like for Frank Abagnale, is that we want to know and be known. We want to love and we want to be loved. I I want you to like me. Raise your hand if you like me. 
some of you are slow on the draw. I don't know how I feel about that. So I want really badly for you to like me, and so in order for you to like me, I start to act a certain way that I think is going to get you to like me. I start faking. I start putting on a front. I, this is as old as the Garden of Eden, is it not? The whole thing about covering up with the fig leaves wasn't about the nakedness of their body. It was about the nakedness of their hearts. What they really, really wanted was for someone, was for them to know each other, to know that heart, to love that heart. But all of a sudden, I'm not sure you're really going to like what's in the heart of Spencer. In fact, I'm pretty sure you won't. I'm pretty ashamed of it, so I'm going to pretend. I'm going to act so that hopefully you like me. And even if you do, says Jesus, well, that's fine. You can do all this stuff on the outside. You can have your reward. But then the more you think about what he's saying, that reward itself is pretty, pretty empty. It's a kind of a sham. Because see, if, if people only like me and if they only praise me for what they think I am, but that's not who I really am, well, then it's just, it's all fake. It's all fake. And what Jesus teaches us once again tonight, what we all know but we need to hear it again and again, is that we got to enter into that secret place. And you know where the secret place is? It's in your heart. Only you know, and only God knows what goes on inside of that heart of yours, in this heart of mine, in that secret place. That's the place that's so fragile and vulnerable and wounded that I'm so ashamed of and I'm so embarrassed about. And yet, God knows already. There's, there's the comfort. God already knows. I, I like to pretend He can't get in there and can't see, but, but He does. And this is why then the prophet Joel that we heard in our first reading says, rend your hearts and not your garments. See, in Bible times, they would rip open their clothes, their robes, as a sign of their distress. Like, just tear open their robes. Can you imagine right now if I just took my robes and just ripped them open? You'd probably take your breath. Like, what's he doing? Do you remember when Jesus was on trial and they accused him of blasphemy and the high priest tore open his robes? Talk about hypocrisy. As they convicted the Son of God, it was all a sham, wasn't it? We can tear open our robes. We can put on our ashes. We can fast and we can pray and we can give alms and we can sit and we can stand and we can do all of this stuff all on the outside. But if it's not in the secret of our heart, no, 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 don't rend your garments. Rend open your heart. Rend, tear open your heart before God. He already knows what's going on in there, but what he wants you and he wants me to do is just say, okay, God, have at it. And when he does, he is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Our God is so tender with us. He wants to enter into that very fragile, vulnerable wounded heart of yours and of mine to bring us his forgiveness and his grace. That's what our journey is all about together. But we have to start tonight, friends, rending and opening up our hearts to him. So let me go back to those three practices of Lent. 
Because Jesus does tell us to do them. He says, when you do these things. He doesn't say, don't do them. He says, when you do these things. But don't just do it on the outside. Do it in the secret of your heart. Do it in order to rip open your heart before God. So fast. You know why we need to fast? Because our appetites tend to get the upper hand on us, don't they? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. You ever find yourself sort of like going to the pantry and rummaging around and just finding things to eat, not because you're hungry, just because? Just I mean, anything that you can't seem to control, addiction, appetite, craving, whatever it is, if you can't control it, then it controls you. The reason why we fast is to gain the upper hand and to have self-control once again. To empty out, the, the, the greatest hunger we have, of course, is not of our belly, it's of our hearts. To empty ourselves out so that we make room and space for Him to come fill us up. And go ahead and pray. Pray. But as I talked about this last weekend, enter into the inner chambers of your heart when you pray. Encounter your God in that place where He sees you as you really are, but where you come to know Him there in that place as He really is. And give your alms. Be, be generous. But, but not because, well, you know, it makes me feel good when I give to others. That's fine and great, but, but do it because your God is so generous to you. So generous that He'd give His only Son for us. Let that open up the floodgates of your generosity. In the secret in the inner place in your heart, rend open and tear open that heart before your God. Who you really are, all of it, the good and the bad, who you really are, and let Him enter in there. And when He does, then you can be confident that you really are His dearly cherished daughter, His truly loved son. That becomes your confidence. And then, you can stop pretending. Stop pretending in front of him. Stop pretending in front of everybody else. 